Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Operation Sequel. Today it's Final Fantasy IX. Final Fantasy IX was released for the PlayStation in July of 2000 in Japan, then November of the same year in North America, and Europe had to wait till February of the following year. This hasn't had a ton of ports, but it's had enough to where it stayed pretty concurrent. It has iOS, Android, Windows, and then the most recent one is the PlayStation 4, which is the version that I played. And since I already did it on the Final Fantasy VII podcast, I don't really think I need to explain, you know, the idea of the built-in boosters. Because it has pretty much the same ones that Final Fantasy VII did, except for one or two differences. I will explain that. This was, of course, developed by Square, and it was published by Square in Japan, but when it came to the North American shores, it was a Square Electronic Arts, you know, kind of deal. The director was a Hiroyuki Ito. The artist was a Hideo Manaba. It was written by Hironobu Sakaguchi, and of course, the music is Nobuo Uematsu. Now, the weird bit here is I couldn't find any kind of story blurb, not even on the back of the box, not in the game itself, not in the manual. So, I'm not quite sure what to do here. I don't want to just, you know, Dave reads the Wikipedia for you. But what I'll probably, I'll just do a brief overview of the story later on. So, sorry about that. Now, a little bit of admin. So, the Monster Hunter Fever Dream is over. I'm pretty sure I'm done with that for now to where I'm going to go back to, you know, playing the Final Fantasies on a regular basis. I would say expect kind of a release schedule like it was previous. I'm going to try to bust through these as fast as I can while still enjoying it. But the problem being they start to get longer and longer and longer. So there might be a little more delay than you're used to. And I don't want to start another series until I finish this one off. I guess I should have thought about this when I paired it up with Zelda. But, you know, time makes fools of us all. So a little bit of my history with this. I remember playing this when I had a job, and so I want to say it was around when I was 16 years old, so that would make it around 2001. It might have been, you know, anywhere in that point, but I remember I I had my own money coming in, so I was able to buy it, and as I'll probably explain later on, that is like the perfect time to play this specific one, just because of the themes that it touches on and whatnot. I don't remember looking back on this very fondly, Like, like before I had played this, it wasn't really something that I was, oh, just can't wait to get to Final Fantasy IX. It was just kind of, okay, that's that's another step on the path. Unlike Final Fantasy VII, my thoughts on, on IX haven't changed that much since I was younger. But, again, we'll, we'll explore that later on. So, a little bit about the port. Uh, the boosters that I mentioned previously, there are some that are very specific to this game, and that is, it has boosters to where... As, as I'm sure you're aware with Final Fantasy IX, if you equip an item, there are skills that are designated for that item, and you have to wear it long enough to where you can master the skill and use it without that piece of equipment. So kind of think Final Fantasy Tactics with the job skills, like you have to stay in a job long enough to unlock enough AP to keep it. So sort of that thing going on just with your weapons and armor instead of you know classes themselves. But there's a cheat that basically lets you master a job as soon as you've put that equipment on. And then there's, of course, there's a cheat for, you know, 99,999 gil. The nice thing is those those kind of boosters, not your usual, you know, triple speed or, you know, battle assistance or things like no encounters, that level of cheat disables trophies. So that's kind of nice if you can't resist the temptation to cheat, but you want trophies. That's kind of a nice, whoa, okay, hold on. 
Let me make sure that I don't use these cheats because then, you know, you won't get trophies. That being said, this trophy list is absolutely insane. Like, some of the things they want you to do will suck up so much time that it's ridiculous. And I'm, I'm the kind of guy that doesn't mind plunking a good 100 hours or so into a game to get some trophies if I really like it. But I wouldn't even come close to touching this game for a platinum. I guess while we're on the subject, uh, my time for this was around 65 to 70 hours. Like, I, I finished it at around 65, but then I played around in a little, little bit more just to play with the cheats and see what was going on with them. So this, this was a hefty game on the level of, like, 8. The remastered version for PS4, the UI feels very, very mobile-like. And I guess that makes sense because, you know, it's ported to mobile. But it's big, blocky buttons for a lot of things. And it does turn you off a little bit to see it. It's like, ooh, you can tell this was not designed specifically for a TV. But, you know, you give it 20 minutes and you're absolutely fine and you're adjusted to it. I do like how they kept, if you hit the touchpad, it'll give you context-sensitive hints about what you're looking at. Like, if it's in armor, you know, you hit the button and it tells you, will absorb wind damage or, you know, inflicts darkness or things. They kept that in there and it looks nice. Uh, speaking of looking nice, the visuals for this actually look really nice. Like, Final Fantasy IX on PS1 was very high-end in terms of the way it looked. And that translates very well to this very smoothed-out look. And I don't mean smooth like, you know, put Vaseline on it. I don't mean like a filter. I mean just crisp and clean. You don't have any of that, like, PSX warbling of the straight lines like it had to do. So it ends up looking really nice. There's a few places here and there where it doesn't look exactly great. Mainly when, if you remember in Final Fantasy VIII, where they'll have a 3D modeled character in front of a CG movie background. There are some places here where that doesn't quite click. Mainly in the end cutscene, if you know what I'm talking about, running on the trees. It just doesn't work and I'm pretty sure with the CRT TV and the regular old PSX, it didn't look as bad in contrast as it does here. But other than that, everything in this game looks great. So for a quick overview of the plot, it does the basic Final Fantasy thing of start small and then, you know, as you explore the world, the storyline gets bigger and bigger and bigger. But a uh, broad spectrum view on this, it starts with you taking a job to kidnap the princess. You later find out who you took that job from. But that's what you know right up front. And that, of course, evolves into, into well, a very Final Fantasy IV storyline. Queen Bronn is very much like the king who Cecil worked for that was going out and destroying towns for what seemed to be no particular reason. But as the game progresses, you find out the reason. And then, of course, you know, they get taken out and there's a bigger power behind them. Now, the weird thing this does is you spend a lot of time with the villain in this game, uh, Kuja. For the most part, I thought it was kind of like Sephiroth, where it's like, okay, no, he's the main villain of the game. And while we're not focused on him now, you know, we, at least they introduce him so they don't do that Zero Miss thing where it's wham, just new villain. They still do that here, actually. Later on in the game, you know, you're about ready to take down Kuja and whoop, the Garland appears for no reason at all. But he does. And later on, he does a huge exposition dump, which kind of justifies his existence in this story. Kind of sad to see them pull out the whole, bam, surprise villain again. And of course, you know, once you defeat Garland, Kuja wants to destroy the world for various reasons that I don't want to spoil. 
but the bulk of Final Fantasy IX story is actually many personal stories that kind of weave in and out of the main plot thread, which I really like. Like, there's some of my favorite party members from Final Fantasy games are in this game. And I'll let you know who in a little bit. To start us off, I don't like the main character. I never have. I don't know if it's because I'm not a big fan of the Thief class. And they kind of tailored a lot of things around you being able to steal. Like, there's a lot of things that you'll have to steal from bosses and boss fights to give you that kind of... Ooh, sorry about that. That kind of leg up that you get from getting a little bit of extra powerful armor and weapons early in the game. So, generally, you want to be stealing from everybody. And with the success rate of it, even with abilities that up the success rate of your steal, it's still a lot of failures. Everybody else is fighting the boss, but you're still there just steal, 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 steal. Personality-wise, I don't mind Zidane, but it's not somebody I'll click with. It's not like a Tidus. It's not like Squall. Well, okay, teenage me Squall. He's just kind of bland rogue kind of guy. And it wasn't bad, so I can't knock the game for it. It was just somebody I didn't really click with. Now, backing him up is a cast of seven characters, which some are extremely hit, some are extremely miss. Um, by the way, Final Fantasy IX does have a four-person party, so it's really nice to get back to four-person parties. I don't know what specifically I like about four-person parties. It just feels like I can be more well-rounded in what skills I have and what characters I use them with three. Because with three, you kind of need to go, you know, the tank damage healer trio. Otherwise, things can get squiffy unless you level up a lot. So with four, it gives you a lot more wiggle room. And let's start with the ones that didn't click so well. Aiko is a somebody from the Summoner tribe, so think Rydia, almost. They play her off just like a little girl. So there's not a lot of depth to her. It's just my grandfather died. Okay, I'll come along with you guys. And then, of course, she falls in love with Zidane for comedic effect. But there wasn't really a lot going on with her character that I clicked with, even though she's a summoner. Which, by the way, what they do with summoners in here kind of irks me a little bit. But that's just kind of nerd Dave getting nerdy. Next, we have uh, Quina. And I'll be honest, with, with the crappy TV that I played on and playing it on the original PSX when I did, I thought he was a duck. But he's not. He's just kind of this big white poofball thing whose tongue is constantly hanging out. I thought that was a bill when I was younger, so there you go. It was wrong. Uh, there's actually something else coming up that I was like, whoa, I had completely wrong conceptions about this. But he's just kind of a dopey, wants to eat everything. I mean, that's just kind of what his race is. The way he talks bugs me. He talks in like Hulk speak. So I'm not a huge fan of him, and he doesn't really add anything to the plot. He's just kind of light comedic effect. Also doesn't help that he's the blue mage of the group. And I think this is the worst iteration of blue mage, or at least the most annoying iteration of blue mage. You basically have to Pokemon battle things. You have to get them down to where their health is at a very specific breakpoint. Once it passes that breakpoint, Quinna will eat them. Once you start being able to hit harder, especially you've been like farming a little bit for money or whatever you're farming for, it becomes very hard to get something low enough without killing it. And so I, after you know a good five, six hours of trying to get things down and getting him to eat them, I just kind of gave up and went, oh, okay, now I remember why I don't like Blue Mage. Another one of the also rands is Amarant. He is your very stereotypical, quiet, tough guy that doesn't understand why you help people and 
everybody should be out you know that kind of stereotype again kind of weird that i didn't use him because he's a monk so final fantasy 9 just makes me use all different weird classes i don't like using but yeah he was not a big deal at all like he could have been left out of the game and it wouldn't have mattered to the story at all so yeah i was just kind of meh on him now my main party whenever i could choose and this is a problem that i'll touch on later was zidane and then next we have vivi now vivi is amazing vivi is hands down the best character final fantasy has had so far not only is his kind of childlike curiosity and fear instantly endear you to him because he doesn't do it in an annoying way it's kind of like if you woke up with complete amnesia and i know i'm talking about amnesia but he doesn't have amnesia it's just kind of wide-eyed wonder at everything and of course fear that goes along with that and that really really makes you like vivi and his personal story actually touches on one of the major themes of the game so having him along the whole way was kind of beneficial um he serves very well that position of black mage you know he's a black mage looks like a to be honest i don't know why he's not the main like mascot for the series because his visual design is absolutely amazing love this guy uh next general party member i was almost constantly using was dagger otherwise known as garnet so it's a print once you kidnap the princess she goes by a different name for a while until story events happen and you she's garnet again now she is a white mage summoner and she's yeah, and she shares this slot with aiko aiko is also a white mage summoner whereas garnet is more of a white mage with a summoner subclass aiko is the complete opposite wait no i think i got them confused anyway one of them is more of a, a white mage with a subclass of summoner and the other one is more of a summoner with a subclass of white mage i believe i was mistaken i'm pretty sure it's dagger slash garnet that is the summoner main which is generally why i had her in the party during the beginning of the game she's not much of a impactful character until you hit about like disc two and then the story starts to revolve around her more and yeah I, as far as final fantasy heroines go she's a pretty good one next you have steiner and steiner is is somebody that just makes me smile right like he's kind of just a goofball knight who tries very hard to do his job correctly but circumstances and his own inability to adapt to situation he's kind of the final fantasy version of jack webb if you ever watched dragnet very by the book this is the way things must be done and of course they play it for comedy a lot of the time but it, it just makes him a fun character to have around. I didn't use him in my party, but only because of the last person, and that's Freya. Now, when I again, when I was younger, I thought Freya was one of the bunny people that comes along later in Final Fantasy. I don't remember the name. Give me a second. Ah, there we go. Okay, so I, I thought Freya was one of the Vera, which you see later on in, you know, Final Fantasy tactics advanced and final fantasy 12 i thought this is you know kind of where that race got started i was completely wrong and boy does playing on a high resolution tv make a difference because she's actually a burmesian which are a group of rats and she will be your dragoon for this game kind of think she might be second favorite character next to vivi mainly because of what they do with her story there's a lot of diversity 
in not just the cast. I mean, you have this weird, odd monster. You have this kind of Rastafarian-looking monk. And then you have, you know, Vivi, which is, I don't know what he looks like under the hat. And then you've got rats. And it's a very diverse cast. And also, the world itself is very diverse, mainly on the animalistic side. Like, you'll see a lot of anthropomorphic animals. I think I pronounced that correctly. But, um, yeah, so a lot of the world is different animals. Like, you'll see hippo people. You'll see, again, rat people. It's a nice touch that adds a lot of character to the world. Because, sure, Final Fantasy before this had dwarves and it had elves and things like that. But those all feel very stock standard fantasy. Whereas, yes, sure, animal peoples feel very standard stock fantasy now, too. To where, I mean, if you see a rat person, you're going to bring all your conceptions of a rat along with what they are in this fantasy world, and they play off that really nice. So I am much a fan of different races and even different species inhabiting a world instead of the usual Final Fantasy. It's mostly human. Like, even Zidane. I mean, Zidane's a monkey boy. Now, some things that make Final Fantasy IX different, other than that, that equip system that I mentioned, is their battle system seems a lot slower. But the trade-off is that it's a lot more... It feels more tactical. There's a lot more of the introduction of auto abilities. So, like, auto potion, auto haste, auto float, you know, auto regen, those kind of things. And while they are a very big investment when it comes to being able to master those skills to the point where you'll be wearing outdated armor just to have these skills. They add a little bit more diversity to the combat because you can set up a very nice system. Almost feels like gambits in all the auto skills that we'll be firing. The problem being that really drags out combat. Out of the three PSX ones, this is by far the slowest in combat. And that's not even because of things like summoning, like what happened in Final Fantasy 7 and 8. Summons are done very well in this, in that the first time you use them, you get that nice long cutscene showing off how cool Shiva is. And then after that, it'll be a very shortened, like down to 10 seconds version of the end of that summon. Every once in a while, they'll throw in the full one again. But for the most part, you're seeing very shortened versions of summons, which is a great idea. Problem is... The auto potion, and mainly auto potion to be honest with you, really throws off the flow of battle to the point where, let's say you get hit with a group attack from a boss, it individually goes through everybody's auto potion, so you've queued up what you want to do with, say, Zidane, and it might be a good minute before that action takes place, which really throws off the rhythm of like, okay, wait, when's the boss's turn is it might it's very hard to keep track of what's going on like if anything this could really really use a battle flow kind of spreadsheet like final fantasy 10 has where it shows you okay whose turn is next because a lot of times you would queue up these actions and you would queue it up for all four members because the auto potion took so much time to do that now it's the boss's turn again, and it feels like you're not getting turns when I'm sure you are, it's just that delay between input and execution is quite high. And triple speed does help. Like, I played a lot of these battles on triple speed, but 
you know, then you tend to play sloppy and, you know, you might get killed, which doesn't matter too much in this, to be honest with you, because they have the continue function, which if you die on a boss, whether you save beforehand or not, it doesn't take you back to your last save. It takes you back to right before that boss, which is a very nice feature, and I wish they would do that more often. Another thing Final Fantasy IX does is, whoops, nope, pad just fell. They have almost, if you've ever played a Tales of game, it almost feels like skits to where you'll be, say, doing some shopping with Zidane and then an active time event, they're called, will happen and you click the button and it will show you like what Vivi's doing while you're doing this. Happens actually quite a lot in the game and it's very nice to where they don't take the time away for this what might be kind of inconsequential scene. It's kind of an opt-in thing. There were one or two times where it didn't feel like the game would progress until I saw a certain action time event, but for the most part, it looked like you could ignore these. I mean, I don't see why you would want to unless you're playing through it again for the second or third time. A couple of complaints I have about 9 are the world map, even on the PS4 and even with good resolution and, you know, you don't have to worry too much about draw distance, is very janky. Like, it's, there's something about the way the camera moves. It almost looks like as soon as you hit the world map, the frame rate drops. And I don't know if that's what it is for sure, because I'm generally very terrible at noticing those things. But there's something really janky about it. Let's get to the story in a little more detail. More on the personal stuff than the overarching thing. Because, to be honest, the overarching thing is good, and I don't want to spoil it. If you haven't played it, I will spoil some of what happens, mainly with Vivi and Freya, since those are the ones that really took my notice. So, let's start with Vivi. Even the main story doesn't really kick off until you get to the Black Mage Factory. And all that is, is the main villain is using Mist, which is produced by this tree, and, they use, and you know that's what calls the monsters, and all that usual stuff. They're using that to make black mages for the army of the queen. They're very soulless, kind of doll mannequin-like black mages. And Vivi was, of course, a, a prototype, not a stereotype, a prototype. And that's what makes him different than everybody else. That's not really until then that the story kicks into high gear. Now, Vivi's story and the overall theme of Nine is very much about finding your place in the world. You know, finding where you'll call home, finding what you are and, and what you're supposed to be. And as, as a teenager, that really resonates with you because that's exactly what you're doing as a teenager. You're trying to figure out who you're gonna be for the rest of your life. To see a character go through it in a game, and sure, it's not going to, you know, open up your eyes and let you see the world in a whole new way, but it's nice to see the way his story turns out because it's basically what you go through from teenage to adult. And it hasn't really lost any of its effectiveness now that I'm older because it still happens when you're older. And again, I, I it didn't and give me any revelations or anything. It was just, it's nice to see that kind of, I mean, because seven was about your identity, how you self-identify and a nice companion piece is nine fi about finding your place in the world. Very, very cool. Basically, what it comes down to is all of these black mages that are being used as soulless mannequins end up becoming self-aware. And they're all, like Vivi, they're all very childlike and not not innocent, per se, but, but in awe of everything around them. They don't know what to do with themselves because everything is just rushing in at them at once. And I don't want to spoil more than that so you should see it. Whereas Freya, let, let's take Freya for example. Freya is kind of the... 
what's what's a good word for this? I don't know. Freya is a woman who fell in love with another rat, and the rat left to go tour the world, let's say. And of course, you know, like any good video game protagonist, she will wait for her man to come back. And when the man comes back, he doesn't remember anything. Again, amnesia, good job, Square. The conflicting emotions that they play with with Freya, of like, should I, you know, be this adherent to somebody who doesn't even remember me, is a very nice story, and it's a story they haven't told before. And yeah, even there, the way it, it plays out is very nice and understandable. Like, they don't, not exactly acting like stock video game characters, there's logic behind the way she acts. And again, I really like that, and that totally cemented both Vivi and Freya into my party. And to close out the talk about the party, what they did with summons kind of irked me a little bit because Dagger slash Gar Garnet can use some summons, whereas Iko can use the rest of the summons. So, you know, Dagger can use Shiva and Ifrit and Atomos and Ramo, you know, all, all the big ones that you know, whereas... Iko can use Fenrir, which, by the way, if, if you've never heard or read of Fenrir, give it a quick Google. Interesting read. And it can use Madin and kind of the, the weird summons. So it was, I, I don't like that. Like, I like a summoner to be able to summon what you want. You have to decide what's best for the situation. Now, that being said, for the most part, summons were not very useful in this. And that's fine. You know, they all can't be Final Fantasy VIII. But having that split eh, just, just kind of irked me a little bit. I would have preferred if, you know, maybe Garnet can do all the summons and Iko is ranged because they don't really have a ranged representative in this. So like no ranger, no archer, none of that. But then again, that's just me getting super nerdy because I really like summons. A big problem this game has is the game really drags through disc three. In case you didn't know, the disc it's four discs long. And disc three is kind of the really saggy middle of this game. There's not a lot going on story-wise. All you're doing is running back and forth between two places to get bits of story. It just wears on you fast. There's not a lot going on in disc three, but that's kind of the, all right, I've got to get through the unpleasant bits to get to the really good bits because about halfway through disc three, the story really starts to pick up again. They're throwing plot twists at you. It's good. But that beginning and middle of disc three, whew, yeah, it's really boring. Like, I had to force myself to play. So, disc three really could have just shunked that in half and it'd be fine. And that's some of my problem with the game overall, other than the battle system, is this game feels too long. They have more than enough story here, but they stretched it out because I. this was in the era of however many hours a game is that determines its value like that was the big deal in psx era like hundreds of hours of gameplay even though there might not have been enough there to support that long a gameplay but yeah if you would have took like 10 hours or even 15 hours off of this and kind of condensed the story a little bit it would have been at a really nice breakneck pace to where you couldn't wait to get to the next story bit as it sits now there is a very saggy middle to it that you're gonna have to force yourself through and if you remember how I liked the ending of Final Fantasy VI, giant boss fight that every member of your party can take place in, they kind of do that here. Not at the end, but there's a quest where you find four mirrors and you have to go to the four shrines, which is 
hell of a throwback to Final Fantasy IV, and you'll find that a lot in this. There are a lot of throwbacks to other Final Fantasy games, but your party splits up into, you know, groups of two, and it's at that point that you get rewarded for using everybody in your party because they're constantly switching in and out who you're going to be able to use. I personally found that a very, very, very big frustration because, like I've said before, I like having everybody there and I pick, okay, I like you, 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 and you. That's who I'm going to use for the rest of the game. I don't really like leveling people up that I will not use. So, while this can be a brick wall because maybe you haven't used Queena at all, if you go in with a little bit of foreknowledge, you'll be perfectly fine. Because the boss fights they have to do aren't exactly that hard. And it happens again towards the end of the game, but to a lesser extent. So that's I, I don't know whether to ding it for that or to applaud it for that, because I like it when a game makes your time worthwhile, and if you had spent time leveling everybody up, then yes, you would be very rewarded for doing that. And yeah, as, as in the throwbacks, uh, yeah, even the four fiends show up here. So you've got like Lich and... Uh, uh, see, I can remember all of them. Like Lich and Kraken and Tiamat and I don't remember the last one. That's not Final Fantasy IV. Wow! I'm sorry about that. Anyway, it's a throwback to Final Fantasy One, Not four. You didn't hear me say four. With what four fiends are guarding it. Now, the only one that gave me any trouble was Lich. And not even that boss fight, but later on when they reappear kind of like they do in four, and I do mean four this time, with you know, Rubiconte and Barbarizia, how they come back towards the end and they're much tougher. They kind of do that here just with those four fiends. And that is, I would like to talk about the difficulty of the game. There's one or two optional bosses that really give you a nice run for your money. But other than that, the game itself is not very hard. They don't have very strict walls that you're going to have to hit. Most of the, the fights you can either get around or find a strategy that works because I didn't have any trouble blasting through this game right up until the end. Like, it wasn't really until Tiamat and Lich that I really had to work on a strategy or go level some more, and I mean, that's right at the end of the game. So, the game doesn't have a lot of teeth to it. It does have a lot of battles, because, well, it's, you know, an older Final Fantasy, but for the most part, it's fairly tame in its difficulty. One thing I would like to talk about is this is kind of saying goodbye to Sakaguchi at this point. Like, this is the last one that he had any major role in. And if you go into the game knowing that, it does play kind of like a greatest hits of Final Fantasy. And I really like that. It's a really nice send-off. And even the end speech that Garnet gives towards the end, it feels like it's coming directly from the developers more than it is coming from the characters talking to other characters. It feels like it's saying it to you for being a Final Fantasy fan. And that's a really nice touch. Like, yeah, I know Sakaguchi did the, the Spirits Within, and boy, that was, a, that was a mistake. But he's kind of like in the same league of developers for me, the, uh, that like, you know, Igarashi and Miyamoto. A very small amount of developers, Japanese developers specifically, fall into where, where you can see a genuine love for what they do come through. And, well, he just seems like the type of guy I'd, I'd like to buy a beer. And, you know, maybe give a fist bump, too. So, it's nice to see them have a little bit of a send-off like that. Even though I'm pretty sure he was in the doghouse for Spirits Within pretty soon. And that does, just like Final Fantasy VI did, that really marks the end of an era. Because after this comes ten, And ten changes a 
lot of stuff. So looking back on the PlayStation trilogy, I'd say they're all winners, to be honest with you. Like, I think Final Fantasy VII is the weakest, because I would put nine... I would even put nine... Yeah, nine above seven. But not for any reason other than they've had more time to master the PSX. So, of course, it's going to be better. Because seven is the least mechanically interesting out of the three. I think the story for seven rivals the story for nine. So they're kind of on equal grounds there, and I think eight is the definite loser there. And I don't mean loser as in it's bad, it's just, you know, not as strong. Between 8 and 9, it's kind of hard to choose. I don't think 8 sagged as much as 9 did in the middle. So 8 might win, also because, you know, Guardian Forces are cool. Would I recommend going back and playing them? I would recommend going back and playing 7 and 9. Because they are available on a PS4. And they have all those modern conveniences. And again... Nobody cares if you cheat your way through 7 or 9 just so you can see the ending and watch the story. It's perfectly fine to do. And there is, like, no resistance at all to doing it because they're there to enable you to do it. And that's a wonderful way to bring back old classics. I don't know if I'll go back and play the trilogy of PSX games again other than 8. 8, eight I'll probably go back to. And the weird thing with 9 is... While it gets a lot of fan love, and of course it is Sakaguchi's favorite, you don't see anybody from it. It kind of has that 8 problem, like Dissidia NT, which by the way I picked up, and it's it's alright. It's Dissidia. Other than that, I haven't seen Zidane anywhere. And you don't see Freya, you don't see Vivi. Uh, thank God you don't see Queena, because that in like high fidelity HD would be terrifying. But for something that's this beloved, and fans, fans love 9. Like, 9 is a holy grail. I don't know why this doesn't get trotted out as much. I mean, I would say, like, judging just from what I looked at, and of course that's like game FAQs and a couple other boards that I go to just to look, I think 9 is maybe a little more popular than 7 is. But 7 has Cloud and Sephiroth, so yeah, it's a gamble, right? I don't know, I couldn't say, oh, judging the community, because I don't know. Personally, I would like to see, well, I wouldn't like to see Zidane, because... Zidane. He's just kind of a wet fart for me. I'd love to see Vivi and Freya and, you know, Amaranth and Steiner somewhere. Now, to be fair, I haven't played the rest of the Kingdom Hearts games. I've only played one and two, I think. So maybe they get trotted out in that. I don't know. But in terms of like Square looking back in retrospectives, Nine doesn't have, well, it's got a disparity between what fans think of it and what it seems like Square thinks of it, you know? It's just weird. Alright, so, that ends that, because I'm running quite long. So, up next is Final Fantasy X. Craig is working his way through it now, because I asked Craig to be on it, because really the first Final Fantasy he played was 15, and then I told him that I think 10 is really the only one that can stand up to 15. So, he said he wanted to play through 10, so we're kind of waiting on Craig a little bit, but that's perfectly fine. I might do, uh, like, one of the spin-off episodes now to kind of bridge that gap. If you listen to our episode on Perfect 10s, you kind of know how I feel about going into Final Fantasy X right away. So I'm looking forward to playing it again. It'll be the second time I've played through it in as many years. We will see you next time on Final Fantasy X.